You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. Ah, welcome to part two. I am Daniel Hargrove, along with Justin Domashevitz and our trusty producer, Andrew Gross. I feel like we haven't mentioned our sponsors enough. Thank you to Oli Penn Real Estate and the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz. And if you liked the happy-go-lucky Seahawks recap kind of thing that we did in the first part of the show, then you're not going to like what we talk about in a bit. (laughs) Because, man, there's some negative things to talk about about that Seahawks game as well as the Seahawks moving forward. But first, one of my favorite parts of our show where we talk about a local athlete and since there's still no sports, it's a historical athlete, and your Oli Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week is Matthew Jensen. And Matthew was the starting quarterback of the Montesano Bulldogs for two years. Did he start as a sophomore? I actually don't remember 2011. I know that he, I'm pretty sure he started as a junior. But as a senior, they went on that magical run after the stadium burns down, beating some amazing teams in the playoffs crazy crazy season and ending up winning the state championship with his dad terry jensen the head coach in one of the coolest moments we've had covering high school football it's interesting because like that season at some point in some way that story is going to be told like whether somebody writes a book about it or somebody makes a movie about it or somebody makes a series of podcasts about it copyright pending um <laughs> this was a bonkers to steal a word from daniel this was a bonkers season the the bulldogs were there was high expectations going in but they lost a couple games early in the season including one to the hoquiam grizzlies in which they were torched by nolan hoyness who in that game broke the Hoquiam record for rushing yards in a game and was unstoppable. Which is kind of amazing that he did it against that team. Because they had tons of fast guys, really Be- good players on it. They had, because they were a really good team. Yeah. Like, usually you see rushing records broken against, like, eh, teams. Yes. So then almost immediately after Nolan breaks that record, torches the Bulldogs, the Bulldogs lose that game, their grandstands burn down. Yeah. So they ended up having to play some of their home games at fields in neighboring towns. They did end up being able to play a homecoming game on their home field at Roddle, but there were no grandstands. They kind of put in some temporary bleachers. They had a scissor lift for the PA announcer. I covered that game as a newspaper reporter. It was pouring outside. There was no cover and no place for me to go. So I ended up with pages soaked with a little bit of pencil writing. And the best I could do was make notes about what touchdowns were scored. But fighting through all that incredible amount of adversity, I remember towards the end of that 2012 season, Daniel, you and I were talking about it and we were going, man, from the beginning of the season to now, Matthew Jensen has gotten really good. And by the end of the season, we were starting to say, you know what? Like that Hoquiam team's really good. I'd like to see these teams play against each other in the playoffs because overall Hoquiam might have, Hoquiam had more talent. I'm going to go ahead and just say it. I'm sorry, Monty Bulldog fans, if you disagree with me on that. The 2012 Hoquiam team was more talented overall. But when we got down the stretch and we were looking at it, we're going, okay, when you start getting into postseason games, you have to be able to pass the ball. Exactly. Because these teams like Hoquiam and like a lot of Monty teams that just run over everybody all season, not really having to worry much about the passing game, sometimes they get into the playoffs, and when they start facing teams that can match up with them, they can't run the ball as effectively anymore, and they have to mix in the pass. So we're going, I remember distinctly during the season going, Matthew Jensen is turning into something special, and he could take the Bulldogs and elevate them to something great. I think we were, yeah, we had that conversation with each other a lot. And we were just giddy over the thought of maybe seeing those two teams play again because we thought it would be different. Yeah. We we didn't know who the winner would be. I think between the two of us, I probably would have picked Hoquiam and you probably would have picked Monty, but it would have been a pick 'em game, in my opinion. Yeah. It would have been really close. I think, especially with just the coaching and adjustment ability of, um, Terry Jensen, Monty's head coach, but also, you know, 
perhaps equally as importantly, Brian Hollitz, who was their defensive coordinator and really famous for his packets of scouting reports on every team's offense that his players would go into those games as equipped as possible, knowing what percentage, if any team lined up in any formation, here's the percentage that they run left, right, pass, blah, blah, whatever. They knew everything if they studied the packet going into it. And I would love to play for a coach like that. Yeah, and they dialed up these strategies that were just incredible. Yeah, and one of the most famous ones was in that playoff run mm-hmm. against Kings, who had just eked out a victory over that Hoquiam Grizzlies team at Olympic Stadium, and it brought up a showdown between the Bulldogs and the Kings Knights at Sam Ben. No, yes, at Sam Ben Field. Is it Sam Ben? Why am I totally blanking on the no, name it's of Stuart Field? Stuart Field. Yeah. Dear Lord, what is wrong with me? It's Sam Sorry, Ben I Park. I blanked for a second too. Yeah. So at <laughs> Stuart Field, and that's one of the most memorable games I can think of. And not only was the defense amazing, but again, you saw that when. Things got down into the nitty-gritty. Monty had so much trust, and Terry Jensen had so much trust in his son to call plays that put the game in his hands. And knowing that they were going to have to be able to pass the ball when they got into the playoffs, I think when they got into that state title game against Royal, and they were underdogs, like people thought, like Royal was a heavy favorite. In fact, when I pulled up articles today to try to go back and look up what the stats were in that game, it was underdog Montesano Bulldogs take down top ranked Royal or whatever it was. Like Royal was a heavy favorite. And the Bulldogs went into that game unintimidated. Yeah. Because they knew they could match up. They knew they had a game plan that could work. And passing the ball was a really important element of that. In that state championship game, which Daniel, to me, uh, we were on the radio broadcast together. You were on color commentary with Ian Cope on play-by-play. I was on the field with a microphone and just kind of giving, you guys would throw it to me every once in a while, and I'd say something occasionally insightful and mostly stupid. But the, <laughs> that game was probably the most memorable thing I've ever covered in my radio and newspaper career because I got to be on the field watching a great performance overall by the team. But Matthew Jensen, man, he didn't miss a throw in that game. He was on point. It was not all short throws. He was throwing bombs down the sidelines. There was one play distinctly that I remember, and I think it was going to Ben Ohashi, and it was down the left sideline, and he threw a bomb, and the spot that I was standing in on the sideline, if it hadn't been an absolutely perfect throw that that Ohashi caught on the run, it would have hit me. Like, that's the line that I had on it. But just watching Jensen just be so on point in that game, um, two touchdown passes, but 15 of 20 passing for 268 yards against one of the best teams in the state, if not the best team in the state, at the 1A level was really incredible. Yeah, Elliot Mendenhall and Tucker Babo each rushed for two scores in that game as well. Justin was fi- or Jensen was 15 of 20 for 268 yards. First title since 1994, including a 42-yard touchdown pass to yeah. Richard Smith on the final play of the first half, which was, I mean, were you right next to that one too? Because that's one of the most memorable plays. For I was me. really close to that one. I think I was standing around the 10-yard line or so. Um, but that was a crazy play because when you watch it, like they set it up like a hail mary, and everybody was in the front of the end zone. And then they just sort of, am I remembering this right? They just had Richard Smith kind of leak out to the back. And going into this game, I had no idea who Richard Smith was. But he made not only that play, but he made catches also at other crucial points in the game. And it almost looked like it could have been a Hail Mary that was an accident that went too far. And Smith caught it in the back of the end zone. And then come to find out later, no, that's the way they drew that play up was for him to sneak in the back and make everybody think that the Hail Mary was going to one spot and then it went somewhere else. It's really incredible. Exactly. And I forgot about this, but they were down 21 to 10 early in the second quarter of that game. So Royal kind of jumped out on top of them. And then that touchdown pass ended up making it 22 to 21 at the half, which was huge. And then they just kind of rolled from there, winning by 15 points. But that was a magical season, as you mentioned. And I think as we've seen so many talented football teams from around here, 
from Montesano and from Hoquiam since we've really been covering high school sports because the Elma run of the late 90s, early 2000s was mm-hmm. before us, and those were some great teams. But Monty and Hoquiam have kind of taken turns dominating football, and yeah. to be honest, mostly Monty. You know, it's more like you find an age group and you're like, oh, is this the year that Hoquiam's going to come up? And 2012 was one of those seasons where you're like, oh, this is Hoquiam's year. But it ended up at the end of the year, it was Monty that advanced to the playoff, advanced in the playoffs, advanced farther, made it to the Tacoma Dome, and then won the state title. And I think a lot of it was because they had the ability to not be one-dimensional on offense. And, and I think we've yeah. started to see a shift a little bit for some teams now that throwing is becoming a, more of a thing, but you really have to have the ability to do both when you're start talking about getting to the final four of, of playoff football in this state. Well, and in addition to just having the second element of being able to throw the ball, I've seen many quarterbacks who early in the football season when it's a little drier out can throw the ball and then when it starts to get wet and cold teams have a really hard time passing the ball and that seemed to rarely affect Matthew Um, a couple other key points on Matthew that are really memorable to me post game in the state championship it's an absolute madhouse and in case you haven't been there they when it used to be at the dome they would play several games in one day So you'd have championship game after championship game after championship game. So there's a mad scramble to get both players and teams and reporters and everybody off the field while simultaneously getting the next teams onto the field to get ready for their game. So it turns the field into like just a crazy place and all the reporters trying to, you know, crowd around and get comments from Matthew. And I, I remember um, before any of that could happen when the game was over instantly, Matthew made a beeline for his dad and it was one of one of the most touching and emotional moments I've experienced where if you don't know these people like it's easy just to see them as people like it's easy just to see them as like someone who's out there entertaining you and it's easy to lose track of like the people element of it yeah but in that moment when I watched them embrace and just cry together in that moment of joy it was so incredibly powerful to think about like He's been coaching his son since he's tiny. This is the culmination of years, over a decade probably of work for them to get here. And they're enjoying this moment together. And it was like, it just sends chills up your spine when that happens. And then Matthew, who was a really fun player to talk to, at least in part because he was pretty unfiltered. And and sometimes you wouldn't exactly know what was going to come out of his mouth at any given moment. He's really funny guy. And, I remember that during his post-game interview, um, one of the reporters had asked him, well, okay, you guys won the state championship. What are you going to do? What's next for you? Well, how are you going to celebrate? And he's like, well, I think we got basketball practice tomorrow. (laughs) In his mind, he had already rolled over to basketball practice. Yeah, and some good (laughs) baseball players on that team too. Yeah. Because that was a team that went pretty deep in the baseball playoffs. They finished second in state. Yeah. yeah they lost in the state championship game. Cause that was the, that was also Lane Bruner's senior year who went on to be um, a minor league pitcher and pitch at Washington state university, highly recruited and, and uh, also drafted in the MLB draft. Yeah. And Jensen was like their number two. Pitcher, he was their number two pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he was really good. Really good at baseball, basketball. Apparently I don't remember him as much as a basketball I, player. He was a, I would describe him as a basketball player, as a scrappy gym rat. Like he was ultra, ultra athletic, super hustle guy. He might not have had all the finer points of the game down, but that was actually kind of Montesano's jam at that time. They were, they were a scramble team, you know, and he would go out there and he'd make great plays on defense. And then he'd hit some threes every once in a while and, you know, maybe put up six or eight points in a game, um, valuable to the team, but not their best player. It was, I think if you asked a lot of the guys in that class, even though they won the state championship their senior year in football, they'd tell you that was a baseball class. They were all in on baseball. And yet they won the state championship in football. Matthew Jensen, the quarterback of that team and the quarterback of one of the most magical seasons. And the quarterback of your hearts. (laughs) I think we had uh, 
Hutton Napier, where we talked about that game and that team a little bit too, because he was a freshman. And when we were asking for mailbag questions once, Hutton was like, what's the best season in the last decade? (laughs) And we're like, come on, Hutton, you already know the answer to it. But yeah, that was probably the best season. And the fact that it started out one and two, were they one and two or one or two and two after that? I have to go back and check, but both of their losses were early. Yeah. I remember that. And yeah, they just went on this magical run. And Matthew Jensen, the quarterback of that team, and our Oli Penn Real Estate Historical Athlete of the Week. Again, thank you so much to Oli Penn Real Estate for that sponsorship. Now, from the positive to the negative, well, we already talked about the encouraging things from the Seahawks game, but now it's time for a deep dive into this Seahawks game as a whole. And yet again, Justin basically comes down to the very last play. It is, it did come down to the very last play and they just can't like, there was a point in the third quarter where it was like, okay, this is going to be like week one. We're going to get to sit back. We're going to get to enjoy ourselves. It's going to be fun. (laughs) But the defense was so depleted Oh, and, and they took it, some major hits again. Absolutely. In addition to being very depleted, they seem to have some really odd strategies. And in addition to having some odd strategies for stopping the Cowboys, they also did some really goofy things like missing interceptions off your chest and then <laughs> kicking it to the receiver, Trey Flowers. So in the end, it comes down to the last play, even though it seems like that. But in this particular situation, I didn't feel like... Pete Carroll went out there and said, eh, we got a two score lead in the third quarter. Let's go ultra conservative. I actually thought the Seahawks were playing really aggressively. Which there was were, nice. There were lots of uh, pocket dropbacks, five and seven step drops where Russell was looking around. He had time because as Andrew and I had talked about earlier off air, the offensive line has kind of been a non-story because they have neither been great nor terrible. They've been Good enough. Yeah. And there were several times where Russ had time to make the throws, but there was nowhere to go with the ball. And when the offense was sputtering, I felt often like it wasn't because they weren't opening up the playbook. It was because all the coverage was downfield. And in those moments, I was like, maybe they actually should have run the ball more to try to draw more defenders up to the line. Um, so I, it was a different type of situation on offense that led to it, in my opinion. I absolutely agree, and it's interesting because I didn't have that thought probably until after you guys did when I was like, maybe they should run the ball because by the time I thought of it, they ran a running play that seemed like, oh, yeah, maybe they figured it out, so I'm assuming that you guys were talking about it a little earlier than that. Right. But there was a few, maybe four or five different instances where he dropped back and he's just standing there forever. Yeah. And my nephew at one point was like, why hasn't he thrown the ball yet? <laughs> and we were like, well, I guess everybody's covered. Like we, it doesn't show you that part of the field. So you don't really know what's going on, but it's the defense is going to be even more of an issue now because they hang on, they win this game, but they pay the price yet again. And I would think the biggest loss would be Jamal Adams, who suffers a groin injury. And I'm not sure if either of you guys have dealt with groin injuries, but I have, and they linger. Like, if you don't plain do-nothing athletic, quick twitch-wise, for a while, it'll stay, and then it'll feel like you're good to go, and you'll go and try and do something, and you'll just yank it again. It is so frustrating. I mean, you've had calf injuries. We both dealt with mm-hmm. a calf injury at the same time. It's almost like that where you would feel like, oh, I'm good to go. It's been like a week and a half. I think I'm good to play. It doesn't hurt. And then you're running down the basketball court like it was for us, and you would just feel it again, yeah. and it would just start the whole process over again. Andrew, you were looking at a list earlier. I was wondering if you still have oh. that list of Seahawks injuries up, and if not, I'll let you go find it really I'll quick. Find it. Yeah, while he's looking, though, Daniel, I was curious. I know Andrew and I had this same reaction watching Jamal Adams on the sidelines, how difficult it must have been because as he came out with the groin injury, and you could tell like he was laboring to walk when he was over there, but he's such a vocal leader, and his presence is so important for the defense that he was over there 
having to watch all these terrible things happen on the field (laughs) and how powerless and helpless he must have felt. How did you experience that? Oh, my goodness. You you could see him like you you felt like if he could walk, he was going to be on the field. But as you mentioned, it was hard for him to walk like he wanted to be on the field so badly and couldn't and was just watching all of this stuff, probably trying to pull his hair out. And that's the thing is they're not exactly a good defense when he's out there. And that was supposed to be the best, deepest part of this team. And thank goodness they're as deep as they are in the secondary. Because when I saw him leave the field, Justin, I had a moment, and you know that I know the Seahawks roster pretty darn well. Yes. (laughs) I had a moment when the next series after, and I was like, wait, Dunbar's out. Hill's out. Amadi's playing nickel. Yes. Trey Flowers is playing... Who's playing safety? Oh, it's 35. It's 35. Who's that? Yeah, so that actually, when I saw 35, I didn't panic. But when you said <laughs> who is 35, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> because in case you missed it and you don't listen every week, Daniel went like ultra super sports nerd on the Seattle Seahawks roster. And he knew uh, pretty well who was... Who was go- he even predicted who was going to make the original season starting roster and who wasn't and knew all the guys on the practice squad. And to me, it was like, if a guy is coming in the game and Daniel doesn't know who he is, <laughs> they reached pretty darn far to find this guy. And I had a moment of panic, not because of my own feelings about this guy, but because it was like, oh, crap, Daniel doesn't know who this is. <laughs> And then he comes up with the interception yes. to clinch the game. Yes. And actually, I thought he played pretty well other than that. Like, he made some pretty good tackles. Are we going to use his name? Who is he? It's Ryan Neal. <laughs> what? I don't know who he is. That's two first names. Yeah. Good old two first name guy coming out there making some He had some four plays. tackles. Yeah, he played pretty well. And a well. pass defense. Like I said, he played surprisingly well. Maybe better than... Lano Hill. <laughs> I think we found a new starter over there. What? He might. Well, he, he's probably going to be starting. Yeah. Unless they want to move Amadi. But Amadi, in my mind, Amadi played great again. That's yeah. another positive to yeah. take out of this. I don't know about you guys, but I thought from what we've seen from Ugo Amadi, these two games that he's played, I, I'm really excited by how he's played. Yeah. We're supposed to be skewing negative. Oh, sorry. Andrew, have you oh, found yeah, that list I've got yet? some negative skew for you. Let me read you. The list of players that have been injured. Here we go. Leno Hill is a safety. He is questionable for week four with a back injury. Jamal Adams is a safety. He is questionable for week four at Miami. He's not going to be playing. With a groin injury. Chris Carson, Uh, our starting running back. That was painful. He is questionable for week four at Miami with a knee injury. Seriously doubt we'll see him either. Jordan Brooks, our rookie linebacker. Their rookie linebacker. First round draft pick. First round draft pick. Questionable for week four at Miami with a knee injury. Quentin Dunbar had a knee injury and was inactive for this week. We don't know about his next week. Uh, Hopeful for him next week. Nico Thorpe, another DB, uh, had a hip injury and was inactive this week. Damian Lewis, ankle injury. That's a bummer. Guard. Yeah, he was playing well. Rookie guard. That's been a bright spot. Yeah. Questionable for week four at Miami with that ankle injury. Cedric Obwehi. Thank you. Tackle. Pectoral injury. He was inactive today. Uh, Don't know about next week. Luke Wilson was a coach's decision inactive today, but he's not going to really help out with the uh, offensive line issues. Maybe he could play DB. (laughs) (laughs) He might be able to play DB. Uh, Kyle Fuller. Guard was a coach's decision, inactive. I guess I'm just reading the inactive list now. Ethan Posick, center, knee, questionable for week four at Miami. Why, why is he questionable? He didn't go out. Knee injury. Oh. Uh, Bruce Irvin's on injured reserve. Marquise Blair is on injured reserve. Philip Dorsett is on injured reserve. Emmanuel Ellerby, linebacker, injured, eh. injured reserve. Uh, you skipped Rasheem Green, who is also kind of on the defensive line. Oh, yeah. Rasheem Green, defensive end. Neck injury, injured reserve, week, return week seven. How on earth is this team 3-0? and Exactly. 
You know why? Rashad Penny also physically unable yeah. to perform. Expected return week eight. Russell Wilson. How? That's why. How? Russell Wilson. Oh. And you know what? Jordan Simmons, I thought, played pretty well. Who's that? Who? He's the guy who took over. Oh, gosh. He's the guy who took <laughs> over for Lewis. He was playing right guard. Okay. And did you guys see, was it Jamarco Jones who came in for Iopati as left guard? But Iopati came back in later. So, thankfully, that doesn't seem to be serious. But surprisingly, the offensive line, as you mentioned, hasn't been bad. It's just been... There are moments where I feel like, oh, dang it, Russell didn't have any time there. But it, it in the past, when the offensive line has been bad, it's every play. And I felt like more often than not, I forget about them for most of the game, which is a good sign. How much do you think that has to do with the quick passes? Because it seems like there has – it has seemed to me like there have been a lot more called quick passes – where Wilson is dropping five steps and passing instead of dropping five steps and sidestepping. I, side I, I have looked at the numbers on this, but I don't think that running. was. I don't think that was true this week. Uh, I think it was true definitely week. in yeah, week I, one I think for it was sure. Much less true this week than yeah. it was. It, it felt like there were actually quite a few uh, sacks that happened because of the downfield coverage. Right. And I, but you look at this defense, and they were struggling before. Yeah. And now, arguably, arguably their best player, it's between him and Bobby Wagner is out. Thankfully, Quandre Diggs was back. I think that played a huge difference in this game, yeah. on that final drive. That probably combined with the emergence of Amadi helping out in the defensive yeah. backfield as well. Alton Robertson Robinson yeah. is a huge bright spot, I thought. And a I huge thought he, person. Yeah, I <laughs> thought he played really well today in his first game active. I have no idea why he wasn't active. Seriously, it's, it's things like that that constantly makes me question, what the heck are you guys looking at? Three tackles, two for loss, one sack, one quarterback hit. Exactly. Like, why was that guy a healthy scratch when your defensive line is trash? And it's that kind of crap... Like when you had offensive receivers last year who couldn't catch a cold if a baby was coughing into their mouths <laughs> and John Ursua never got to play till the last well, that second might... in the last game. <laughs> and then you get crap like this where their defensive line can't get pressure at all and Alton Robertson, Robinson was a healthy scratch and he comes in his first game and plays well. It's like, who's making that decision and why? But anyway, he, he he was a bright spot. I also thought that Jaron Reed played a good game today. So that was encouraging. So while there was some encouraging signs on the defensive line, I think Andrew brought up a good point that that offensive line from the Dallas Cowboys is absolutely decimated right now. So if they didn't show signs of improvements, it would have been yeah. even worse. That's true. But at the same time, 10 quarterback hits and – you still just two sacks, though. Still just two sacks. They only the, have seven on the season. It feels like Mayoa, too, is like one of those guys who seems to be constantly almost making a play. Yeah. Um, that, that I've noticed a lot. But in a way, that's also kind of encouraging because at least you're getting in there and either forcing a quicker throw or you might have a chance to sneak up on him every once in a while if he doesn't see you coming. But um, I think just how many different guys got in there and had a pressure or a hit, you know? Um, Bobby had two, Alton Robinson had one, Jaron Reed had one, Jamal Adams had one, Benson Mayo had two, um, DeMonte Moore had one, Shaquem Griffin had one, LJ Collier had one. So you have a whole bunch of different guys who at different moments are getting in there and showing the capability where for much of last season, it was like no one could unless there was an occasional game where Jadeveon Clowney just flashed his brilliance. Yeah. I th I was also really encouraged by Shaquem Griffin yeah. as well. I mean, he yeah. he came in I probably when Jordan Brooks, the first-round pick, got hurt, and Brooks hadn't really flashed at all during the game. And Shaquem, at the first series, or the first set of downs that he was in, they were just having him rush. And he kind of got near a couple times. He had that quarterback hit. But a lot of times you didn't see too much. And then they kind of shifted him back, and he was just making plays all over the place in that second level. And we are supposed to be skewing negative. We keep going positive. I know. Assuming 
let's just assume for a moment, and I don't know whether this is true or not, we don't see Chris Carson next week. I'm going to assume, although the Seahawks seem to have some kind of weird insistence to work Travis Homer into the game plan constantly, I'm going to assume Carlos Hyde is the primary back. Homer is the change of pace back. Do we see DJ Dallas? I will assume if Carson's gone and you still don't have Penny, DJ Dallas probably gets activated. And that will be something going into next week. I'll be really excited to see what he can do on the field. Yeah, I'm incur- I would be excited to see that as well. I'm assuming, like you mentioned, Hyde will be the feature back. Yeah. And they'll probably filter in Homer more than we've seen him, which could be frustrating, but we'll see. But they'll be significantly worse without Carson. Yeah. Because he's the one guy, like, Hyde's good, he's fine. Like, I'm glad that the Seahawks have him. Homer's fine. You know, throw him out there on third downs or whatever. Um, Or you give him a couple of carries a game. DJ Dallas has a chance to be explosive, but we don't know what we have there. Chris Carson is, he's awesome. He's one of the best running backs in the league. And he has been for the last couple years, not quite getting the attention that he deserves. Partly because he keeps getting injured at the end of the year when they're going into the playoffs. But at the same time, that's going to be a significant impact on this offense. And the offense right now is what's carrying the team. Exactly. What do you guys think about the tight end situation? I already cut them all. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed to see Will Disley playing such a small role this year. I'm not disappointed. Is he a free agent next year? I'd, we still have him. No, for, we still have him for next year. Yeah, well, I, I'm not too worried about it as long as Olsen never, ever, 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 ever throws an interception again. You mean, I get what you're saying, yeah, but he didn't he throw the it. ball. He, he threw, threw it. it. <laughs> he said it. It was, he a, it was should a be carry. charged with that interception. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's Russ's only majorly negative play so far, so it's very frustrating additionally. Yeah. But also, I, and I, I get that Greg Olson, as we were watching this, I have been angry <laughs> with Seahawks tight ends because going into this season, we thought they have lots of options at tight end. These guys are all good. We don't know if any of them are great, but they're all trustworthy. And immediately, the tight ends have let us down. They've let the Seahawks down. They've let Russell down. And Disley has done basically nothing. He made a big mistake in the game today. And then also I blamed him for a mistake that Greg Olson made later in the game because I read the numbers wrong. But at some point during that game, I cut Hollister, I cut Olson, I cut Disley. The he only guy left was Luke Wilson. Just sending and he didn't angry play. emails to the Seahawks front office. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the game, you see Greg Olson come through for a couple of big plays, especially yeah. on that fourth down play. That's true. And you, you realize, like in that moment, I was like, okay, well, I'm glad I don't actually have authority to cut players <laughs> because to have that safety net of an experienced tight end who knows where to be, where to be in those situations is big. Uh, on to our next negative takeaway from this game. You also cut DK Metcalf. I was so mad. I was so mad too. What the heck was that? What? What? Have you not seen enough prima donna receivers make stupid crap decisions like that yeah. that have cost touchdowns? And yet you go ahead and do the same thing. I thought you were different, DK. Yeah. That's why I'm so mad. I am hurt. I thought you were different. I also get that. Everything we've heard about you <laughs> is that you are not diva, dumb, what you so, know what I'm thinking, receiver. And he goes and he does that. I get that he might not have known that the guy was that close behind him. Who cares? Cross he the knew t- he was there because right before he caught the ball, he looked over his shoulder. Like, he knew there was, was a defender there. He was looking... Up and the defender. If you watch it in in full speed, you stop making you excuses for him. Don't you dare! Don't you? I dare. don't think he you was get showboating. Out. I don't think he was showboating either. He was ultra casual. He's casual. Way too is, casual. <laughs> I yes, he was too casual. He was he was not so casual. And everyone comparing him to uh, Deshaun. Uh, who is it? Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson is doing him a disservice because Deshaun Jackson, A, did it more than once. That's true. Never learned. And also was blatantly showing off when he was doing it. Well, I think by coasting into the end zone, you are showboating. Run the freaking ball across the line. And secure it. Jogging with the ball in one hand out in your palm. 
That's showboning. That's like, yeah, I beat you so bad. I can just coast into the end zone. You know what? Get that crap out of here. Run across the line. Secure it like you're supposed to. You had fumbling issues last year. This should not be a lesson you have to learn again. You were a fumbler last year. You should never hold the ball like that, you fumbling fumbler. And if you do something like that again, I want them to sit him for a series. Maybe two because it... That should not be something that he's learning again with his issues last year. I was mad because in that moment I knew, oh, Russell Wilson, you know what he's going to do? He's not going to go over there and yell at him and tell him stop being an idiot. He's going to put his arm around his shoulder and he's going to say, it's okay, buddy. You'll get the next one because Russ is positive. Well, I'm negative. I'm done with DK Metcalf. I wanted him cut. So immediately, Daniel, you were like, he needs to be set down for a couple of series. Andrew said something about how Russ should just not throw it to him in a couple situations where he could be throwing the ball. I was like, (laughs) get rid of him. I'm done with him. He's cut along with all the tight ends. I said something about how, from what I've heard of Russ talking about DK and what I've seen DK saying... I'm confident that he won't ever do that again. And there's no excuse for it. And he had the, 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 I loved what, what Pete Carroll said about it, where he was like, yeah, that's such a difficult lesson for him to have to learn. You know what? Shut up because I'm not (laughs) practical. I'm emotional. And you know what I'm going to do as a fan? I'm going to be angry at DK Metcalf and I don't care how many touchdown passes he scores for the rest of the year. He's on my bleep list. My crap list. I'm not that bad. If they lost, I'd be right there with you because holy crap. Uh, And this is the beginning of the end. On talking to DK Metcalf after the wide receiver showboat coast to the goal line and fumble cost his team a touchdown i told him never do it again (laughs) really because we saw the video of you on the sideline and it looked a lot like it's okay buddy we'll get him next time yeah i read his lips that's what he said and he was smiling i don't think he talked to him first on the sideline though Uh, that might make sense i don't know (laughs) i'm angry anyway that was really frustrating I do love how DK just bosses people, but oh my gosh, that made me so mad. So mad. While we're on the So I'm glad I got to vent about it because that's a lot of what I just did was was venting about it, but seriously. I have something else positive to point out. No, 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 no. We're skewing negative. I want to skew this positive, though. I'll turn it in. Okay, you go positive. I'll turn it into a negative. Uh, This is from John Boyle on Twitter. If you want to know what kind of season Russell Wilson is having so far, Consider that he threw for 315 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions today, and his season passer rating went down. <laughs> Jeez. Well, he's peaking too early. That's the problem. When it comes to the MVP conversation, it's never the same guy from, from wire to wire. It's never the same guy from beginning to end, and it's been Russell Wilson since week one. So he's not going to be able to – like, he will sustain the level of playing that we're used to seeing that should have already earned him at least one MVP. He'll sustain that, but the storyline's going to change. He will not win the MVP by the end of the year because he peaked too early. Oh, don't say that. That is a hor- – well done spinning that negative. That was, terrible, that was terrible really human. Happy to help out. <laughs> I have another positive thing that you can spin negative. Let's do it. This will be easier this to spin negative. Uh, we get a, they, they get to play the Dolphins next week. Oh, great. So there's a perfect opportunity for them to screw up a 3-0 record by losing to a team that is significantly worse than them. There can't be a worse matchup than this because if they win, they'll get virtually no credit. And when they lose, they will be looked at like, oh, were the Seahawks even for real? Who did they actually beat? That's what the dialogue is going to be. Also, I like here, spin this one negative. I'm so glad that Russell Wilson broke Patrick Mahomes, the most amazing quarterback ever. No one else in the league could do this. Nobody. Russell Wilson just broke his record for most touchdowns in the first three weeks. Russell Wilson has 14 passing touchdowns to Mahomes' 2018 record of 13. Well, congratulations, Russ. All you needed was empty stadiums with virtually (laughs) no noise. And the first two weeks of the season were literally the two highest scoring weeks in NFL history across the league. So all you needed was a situation that's perfect for offense, and you can break records. Congrats, Russ. And this is a fun game. Andrew, you got this any more? 
Let's see. I, I have something. Po- okay. Well, Tyler Lockett had nine catches for a hundred <laughs> yards and three touchdowns all in the first half. I got nothing. <laughs> well, I, about, but DK uh, Metcalf. <laughs> I, I think that possibly the best thing to to remember about the uh, about playing the Dolphins is that Fitz Magic is in full Fitz Magic form, and he will likely throw for well over four hundred yards, thus guaranteeing the Seahawks yeah. a win. So does everyone against the Seahawks right now. Thus guaranteeing a Seahawks win. Yeah, what's that stat? They're uh, nine oh. and zero when the opposing under Pete Carroll when the opposing quarterback nine, zero. <laughs> nine wins, zero losses. I've never heard it that way under before. Pete no Carroll. one says nine and zero. Start again and do it the right way. <laughs> Don't you go wins losses? Yeah, you do. He's just nine saying and go, zero. It's you not. Say, you say nine and zero. Oh. O is not a number, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> no one says nine and zero. O is a letter. Is this how is this like how you have insisted? They're really similar shape. Is is this how you have? It's like how you have insisted that runs in baseball can be called points. It's a ridiculous (laughs) argument. It's not. It's not what we do. For baseball points. It's not what we do, Andrew. It's not nine and zero. It's nine and O. They are nine and O. Thank you. (laughs) Under Pete Carroll, when the opposing quarterback passes for over four hundred yards. And if uh, freaking Cam Newton could have got two more yards last week, then they would be 10-0. Freaking Cam Newton. Freaking Cam Newton. He's not even trying. <laughs> and with that bombshell, we're going to take a break. Stay tuned for the mailbag. <laughs> the team of realtors at Olipen Real Estate wish you and your family good health during this stay home, stay safe time. Their team has health and safety measures in place to protect you and everyone involved in the process. If you're thinking about selling your home, now is a great time. There are more buyers than available homes. Many homes are still receiving multiple offers and are selling for above asking price. OliPen Real Estate will help you put the most money possible in your pocket in less time without the hassle. Visit SellMyHarborHome.com to get your home market ready. The OliPen team is ready to work for you. The mailbag. Yes, Send the mailbag. Stuff. Send, Send us, us your stuff in a mailbag. Uh, too long. Oh. I like it. <laughs> what do you got for me, Justin? Well, we got lots of options today. Nobody cares. Okay, that's it for the show. No, Francis okay. barfed a whole bunch of mailbag <laughs> yes. questions. Thank you, Francis. On our Facebook feed. So let me pick one at random. Is it really going to be at random? No, I'm going to start at the top. Okay. Is <laughs> Kyler Murray already the MVP? No. And Francis goes on to say, clearly the Cardinals are in the driver's seat for the number one overall seat in the NFC, but who's going to claim the number two spot? Bears or Cowboys? After today's domination of the Sea Chickens, look to be... Oh, wait. That's already wrong. Yeah, he thought the Cowboys were going to dominate. The Bears or Cowboys look to be the teams that have the best shot at slowing down Murray's coronation. Yeah, well... well that didn't uh, age well at all. No, it, it didn't, didn't age well. He posted this before the games, apparently, because the Seahawks yeah. won and uh, the Cardinals lost. Is he really mad about Trubisky getting benched? No, he doesn't like Trubisky. Okay, good. Well, why was he so salty about the, the Sea Chickens? So, because... That's what people who aren't fans of the Sea Chickens do because their teams aren't as good, especially the Bears. Uh, but if you want to know what Kyler Murray's been up to, he's got five interceptions to five passing to four passing touchdowns this year. Yeah, that sounds like an MVP candidate right there. There, you can't even beat the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions. You know you're on a bad team like the Cardinals, and you don't have an MVP quarterback when you lose to the Lions. To Stat Patterson. Stat Padford. There you go. Stat. (laughs) (laughs) So, no. uh, Kyler Murray, even though I do think that he's picking this up from somewhere, I got to say, Francis, probably hearing the tone of what the national media is saying whenever they talk about Kyler Murray because they're talking about him like an MVP candidate because he's super fast. And I got to admit, his running plays are really fun to watch. But what he is not is an MVP quarterback. I think at this point, especially watching him lose and throw three picks today, I mean, 
Kyler Murray very well by the end of the season could emerge in the conversation, but right now he's not a tight. He became a trendy preseason MVP pick. Right now he's not close. I did think this was interesting. Um, Aaron Rodgers, first of all, is going to be in the conversation for early MVPs. The Green Bay Packers just beat the Saints, and Rodgers, again, three touchdowns, no picks. He had another good and night. And roughly 300 yards. I didn't see exactly what he came back to, but he had a really good. He had another really good night. Um, his team is 3-0. and The Bears are 3-0, and but they don't really have anybody on their team that would be considered as an MVP because their starting quarterback got benched and Nick Foles came in for him. I thought this was interesting. Well, Nick Foles wins Super Bowls. It's true, and it rhymes, <laughs> which makes it more true. The NFC West, I feel at this point, is indisputably the best division in the NFL. Although that did take a little bit of a hit today. It took a little bit of a hit today because the Rams won, The Rams lost in devastating fashion. The Cardinals lost to the Lions. But right now you have three teams at 2-1 and one and the Seahawks at 3-0. and oh. So all four teams are above 500 early. Whereas when you go over to the NFC East, <laughs> all teams are under 500. The Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys are 1-2. and two. The Philadelphia Eagles are 0-2-1. And, and the New York Giants are 0-3. Yikes. So let me ask you this. What do you think will be national talking points on the, on the major TV and radio shows over the next week? Do you think it's going to be, wow, look at the NFC West and how good all these teams are. They're going to talk about Russ. They will talk about Russ. But it's going to be much more, what's wrong with the Cowboys? How bad? Why are the Eagles so bad? Like these are the conversations that are going to happen. Exactly, because the national media loves the NFC East. Yes, and it's despicable. Next question: <laughs> Who's the best system quarterback in the NFL? Is it Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, or Mister Unlimited? Unlimited. Russell Wilson, Mister Unlimited. Well. I'm going to actually, I'm not mad about this question just because it gave me a chance to say Mr. Unlimited. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think any of those guys are the, Tom Brady is the best system quarterback in the NFL, right? Uh, yes. I hate the term system quarterback. Yeah. I, I, I do, that's why it's funny. I do, but I don't think it's the person who just set the record for most touchdown passes in the first three weeks of the season and has, what, let's see. Well, he's got 14 touchdowns and one interception. And I don't think it's Russell Wilson. What Jared Goff's having a bit mean? of resurgence. Jimmy G's hurt again. Can you be the best at something if you constantly get hurt? Seriously. You feel, can be the best at getting hurt. I feel bad for Jimmy G because he honestly seems like a decent decent quarterback well, human being. Why would you relate so well with Jimmy G? <laughs> Is it because Daniel he's constantly to... injured and you're constantly injured? That's got to be it. I think it's it. because they talk about how pretty he is and Daniel likes to think of himself as very pretty. So I would go <laughs> <laughs> I would go Tom Brady, then Jared Goff, best system quarterbacks. Next question. Okay, this is another question that didn't age well. <laughs> <laughs> Who's winning the – this was before the Miami Heat-Celtics game went final. Who's winning the NBA title this year? Super excited that we decided to do every single <laughs> yeah. question he this week. Who's winning the NBA title this year? Boston and its tradition or Miami and its culture? Now, this is a thinly veiled shot at me because he's neglected to put the actual favorite team to win the NBA title this year, which is the Lakers, which is LeBron, which is the team I'm rooting for. LA in four. That's bold. That's my prediction. I I uh I wish that I were as confident as you <laughs> because I'll be rooting hard for LA, but Miami's a little scary, man. They've got great depth of scorers and I think one one thing that one way to look at this is if you were to take all the players and you put them in a list and you're going to list all the best players from 1 through 30. The top 2 are Lakers, it's LeBron and AD in whatever order you choose. And probably the next five or six are going to be Miami Heat players. They have, on any given day, they could have seven or maybe even eight guys scoring in double figures. That's what scares me. And my thought, though, is that the NBA is about your two best players. And if they're the best, they're going to win. 
I think that's generally true. I don't think that's always true. Uh, I think uh, that Miami has taken out Giannis on their way here. And although, you know, Middleton would be the next best comparison for the second guy in his power duo, and that's not a great second guy in your power duo. (laughs) But when you play against the Celtics and they have the combination of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and you mix in guys like Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker. You just said another maybe top flight NBA star and then some you're dropping down there again. I completely agree, except also Jason Tatum, as we established during Stump Daniel, has also kind of been like really spotty in his consistency um, in the playoffs. So I wish I were so bold to say Lakers in four. I think I would do a massive cop-out move and say, I think the Lakers are going to win. I'm not terribly concerned about them losing, but I would go Lakers in five because I think that just with if if a combination of LeBron and Anthony Davis has an off day and the Miami Heat have enough capable scorers that they can keep up with them, they'll steal a game. All right. Do we want to do another question? Okay, one more. This goes kind of with this. Was Kentucky Wildcat grad Tyler Hero robbed in the MVP voting this year? Daniel, your thoughts. I need a hero. No. No, he was not. I uh, agree. All right. That's going to do it for our show today. Thank you so much to Francis for dropping a bunch of questions. We love Francis once we get right down to it because he actually asks us questions. You should ask us questions as well. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, if we ever post something there again. It might happen. And follow <laughs> us on Facebook as, as well. Also check out our YouTube page, I post videos there every week please look at our youtube page. yeah it, video <laughs> editing takes a while but thank you again so much to our sponsors as well Oli pen real estate and the law office of jeffrey a damashevitz that's going to do it for our show today so for my co-host justin the negative spin doctor damashevitz and my co-host daniel i like to think i'm pretty hard <laughs> hey that's not what it says here <laughs> It was better. I improvised. And our producer, the DK apologist, Gross. You've been listening to The Scrimmage.